Mike is on a well-needed break today, but considering that it's right around Halloween, as I record this, it's coming right up. You might hear this after Halloween, maybe Halloween night, maybe weeks or months after, who knows? I don't know when you're listening to this, but I thought it would be fun if we could do an Ooh, Can I See That set review for a spooky set from Magic's Distant Past. So I've selected The Dark which is one of Magic's oldest sets. It was released in August of 1994. Uh, I was three years old when this set was released. I was not yet playing Magic. Maybe some of our listeners already were. Maybe some of our listeners were not yet born in August of 1994. Uh, That was quite some time ago. So uh, it says, The expansion was introduced with a short story describing the ominous and powerful nature of the dark magic from which the set took its name. And a couple of fun facts here. Uh, These booster packs had eight cards in them. That kind of sucks. This was released far enough back that we are sort of in the reserve list. Many cards, maybe even some on this list, are actually reserve list cards, which means they will never be reprinted again. And if you want to know any more about that, we have an old episode talking about the reserve list and maybe some cool cards on it. But I think we're going to hear about some uh, cool reserve list cards. And if any of those make your fancy and they aren't like hundreds of dollars, maybe hit up our TCG player affiliate link and it's not going to cost you any additional money, but you'll be supporting the show. And if uh, you want to support the show in a different way, you can either follow us on Twitter the social contract EDH. You can join our Discord link, which will be in the description, and join our community. Or you can support us on Patreon and basically uh, dictate your own episode. We are at your mercy. So, happy Halloween, or much after Halloween. And let's talk about the dark. So I've selected several cards from the dark. Not because they're powerful or because they're EDH staples, but because they're in the social contract wheelhouse. These are uh, political, symmetric, group hug groups like Stacks, Chaos. Very fun social political effects. That's the kind of thing that Mike and I love. And if Mike were here, I'm sure he would love these too. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. We're going to start with white. And the first card from the dark I have here is Blood of the Martyr. For white, 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 that's three mana total for an instant until end of turn if damage would be dealt to any creature, you may have that damage dealt to you instead. <laughs> this is quite interesting. If you care about losing your own life, then that could work for you. And I don't know, maybe if you have some kind of lich effect where you want to die, or maybe somebody's just hitting a creature for a certain, maybe like six to blow your creature up and it's for you. This does seem very, very narrow. But this is perfectly within within white does. But I think we're going to see a lot more interesting white effects here coming up. Uh, starting with cleansing, which is white, white, white. Three mana for a sorcery. For each land, destroy that land unless any player pays one life. Wow. This is mean. This is really mean. Uh, this is on the reserve list. So it's never going to be printed again. You don't have to be worried about that. But just imagine this resolving. Every player now has to make a decision for the lands they're going to keep. And for each of those lands, they'll pay one life. So maybe they keep them all. Maybe they're so low on life that they aren't able to pay enough life to keep them all. Uh, Maybe there's a lands deck that is willing to have them enter the graveyard. Maybe you want people to take one or two damage for your life drain deck. But the interesting thing here is that uh, other players can pay for lands. So you might have the situation where maybe somebody can't pay any more life, but they need uh, they need their land protected. So maybe you could pay a life in for a penny and for a pound. That's a very interesting dynamic and uh, a white mass land destruction effect. But even more powerful because this will deal with uh, this will deal with a lot of different uh, kinds of lands and 
This is very interesting, and I, I certainly have never seen this one played. I, I don't think I've seen very many of any of these cards that we'll talk about played, but uh, I certainly think that, that this effect is, is playable at three mana. Let me know what you think, listeners. Uh, we have a spot removal card that reminds me uh, very much of a, uh, a sta- at least it used to be a staple, Dust to Dust is one white-white that's three mana for a sorcery exile to target artifacts. Uh, Return to Dust is quite similar to this, right? It can hit an artifact or an enchantment as an instant, and if you cast it on your main phase, you can get an additional enchantment or artifact. Um, That costs one more. So this is three mana. The spell is much slower at sorcery speed, which is not great for removal, but at the same time, you are exiling two artifacts. That's a pretty good rate, but I'm not surprised that this isn't really played very much. Uh, but it's not on the reserve list, so who knows? We'll see it again someday. The Exorcist. Not the film, but the card for white-white. That's two mana for a creature-human cleric. And it's a 1-1. One, one. You can pay one and a white and tap it to destroy target black creature. That's an interesting rattlesnake. This is on the reserve list. And I like the idea of having this kind of avatar of woe effect in white that you can just threaten black creatures. Now, there's not always going to be a black creature for you to threaten, but very, very interesting effect here that you can kind of hold up that mana and uh, and threaten to do what you will. I like that kind of, uh, the kind of control that, that a rattlesnake gives you. And yeah, this one is on the reserve list, so I have a feeling that price is mostly going to go up on that one. Uh, next is Festival for a single white mana. That's one for an instant. Cast a spell only during an opponent's upkeep. Creatures can't attack this turn. That's pretty solid. Uh, There are some other effects that prevent creatures from attacking and possibly even do some other things. But it's interesting that this restricts to an opponent's upkeep because you could do this without that restriction if it weren't there during their upkeep, draw step, pre-combat main phase, and right up to the beginning of combat. So restricting this to an opponent's upkeep is, I mean, you you could cast it there normally. This is just giving them more preparation, more information to, uh, to plan out their turn now that they won't be attacking, presumably. Uh, this is a pretty narrow hate beast. I imagine we don't talk about Isochron Scepter very much, but imprinting this would be pretty brutal. I don't think anybody would like you after that. Uh, next, we have Martyr's Cry for white, white. Two mana for a sorcery. Exile all white creatures. For each creature exiled this way, its controller draws a card. I really like this. This is giving me Winds of Abandon, but much cheaper. It, it is only hitting white creatures, and it is giving a card rather than ramping them a land. But for two mana, exile all white creatures. Now, color hosing, which... I don't think it was introduced in this set, but the color hosing was a pretty common theme in early magic, and I think we've seen it for many years. It's it's interesting that you would have a white spell that hates on white creatures, isn't it? Because presumably you have white creatures in your deck. Um, I, I suppose that's not necessarily mandatory, but you at least have white in your deck if you're casting this spell. So uh, it it would be interesting to see the kind of deck that would play this. Maybe some kind of white deck that doesn't commit creatures to the board, or maybe it does, but you know you wanna you wanna hedge your bets. And very nice group hug effect here for every creature that someone's hitting uh, with this spell. That uh, that controller is gonna draw a card. I like that a lot. This is on the reserve list. It's currently twelve dollars. This is definitely playable. I don't mind this one. Martyrs cry. Let's move on to uh, to Preacher. Uh, Preacher's one white-white. That's three mana for a creature-human cleric 1-1. One, one. You may choose not to untap Preacher during your untap step. And it has the activated ability tap for as long as Preacher remains tapped. Gain control of target creature of an opponent's choice they control. Now, before we go into the effect, which is great, uh, the art is from Quentin Hoover. And he's got a uh, got a very hunched-over classic uh, 19th or 20th century evangelist priest, uh, you might say Bible thumper, although that has some religious baggage, definitely a a vociferous preacher of whatever this person believes in, 
Um, and and in the in the flavor of this card, they are just kind of taking control of of something. Maybe he's brainwashing them. Maybe he's enlightening them. Who's to say? Um, you don't usually see this effect on white. Now we do see O-ring style effects in white, and lots of them. But this kind of thieving effect, we've recently saw it with a Doctor Who card, and we've seen it in the past with some commanders, but none of those were mono-white. And I think that back in this time, in the dark, and in this early part of Magic's history, this is only a year or so after Magic has even initially been released. This is only a few sets in, and that, that really bears out. You can see how many of these are on the reserve list. It's really only those cards in those older sets that are that are even looking at that reserve list. And honestly, for three mana, gaining control of a creature. Now, the interesting thing here is that it's not a creature. It's not a creature that you choose. An opponent will choose a creature they control and target it, and you will gain control of that. So I guess let's just hope that they don't have any trash on the border. Maybe they've agreed to give you something nice. Maybe you take control of it temporarily, then allow Preacher to become untapped. It goes back to them. I don't know. But the opponent does get to make that choice, and that makes this a lot more interesting than just stealing it, right? Definitely some uh, some fun play there. Now, this card is on the reserve list, and it is $41. Wow. That is pretty pricey. Uh, speaking of weird strange things outside of magic's color pie witch hunter for two white white that's four mana for a creature human cleric one one with two activated abilities first one tap witch hunter deals one damage to target player or planeswalker it's, <laughs> it's this card white uh second one one white white that's three mana and tap return a target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand what on earth is going on with this card First, it has this sort of mono-red, or maybe is it ping effect going on. And then in the second ability, it has this blue effect bouncing something to hand. Uh, this is rather effective, and it's not on the reserve list, but we really don't see it. Now, the rates aren't amazing, but I think it's kind of funny to imagine a pinger deck with white in it. I do have an is it group hug pinger deck with uh, Nid the Pain Artist at the helm. So I couldn't, of course, put this in there, but this is a this is a great pinger. You can tap for zero and, and just ping something. You can tap for three and bounce it. I think there's some good value on there. Now it is four mana to cast it for a 1-1, one, one, which is not great value on the body, but as far as the dark is concerned, uh, you could have done a lot worse. I think this is a fun little card and, and very outside of the color pie. That's uh, a very blue-white card, isn't it? Speaking of blue... Let's go ahead and move on to blue cards. Uh, Amnesia for three and triple blue. That's six mana for a sorcery. A target player reveals their hand and discards all non-land cards. That is just brutal. Just some mean hand attack there. And I'll tell you what else is brutal is this art from Mark Poole. Uh, Jesus Christ. So if you're looking at this card arc, uh, first of all, he's got a pool... <laughs> He's got kind of a, a, a Mark Poole tattoo on his shoulder, but that's the least of his troubles. He's got some serious, uh, I don't know if you call that acupuncture, probably not. That's some kind of like torture device or maybe some kind of uh, some kind of other thing that maybe is not appropriate for the show. But worst of all, worst of all, is that an enormous hole has been bored out of this poor man's head, and it is like... This guy's got to be missing about 50% of his brain mass. There's red jam leaking out of the hole. It is horrific. I like this is a lobotomy times 10. I don't understand what like amnesia. I I don't even think this guy is is conscious anymore. Um so we need to we need to get this person to the hospital immediately. But that makes sense, right? They're revealing their hand. They reveal their mind to you and discard all non-land cards. Basically, they're becoming an idiot. You're, you're destroying all their knowledge. It's all going to the graveyard. Um, it's pretty expensive for hand attack, but very brutal. Anybody who got hit by that would really not like you. Um, you, could, you could very much mess up somebody's plans with that, I think. Moving on to, uh, to Mana Vortex for one blue-blue, three mana for an enchantment. When you cast this spell, counter it. 
unless you sacrifice a land. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices a land. When there are no lands on the battlefield, sacrifice Meta Vortex, and this one is on the reserve list, and the price bears that out, this is $23. Uh, this is a heck of a stacks piece, so in a, basically as an additional cost, uh, even though this is a cast trigger, it functions quite similarly to an additional cost. Uh, when you cast that spell, you'll get that cast trigger before the spell resolves. Uh, you're going to have to sacrifice a land or counter this trigger, because otherwise this spell's going to get countered. It'll go to your graveyard. And then once this is in play... Yikes. Uh, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices a land. That's pretty bad. People, I mean, this is, it's land destruction, even though it's slow. This is destroying people's lands, and although they get to they get to choose which one they destroy, this is just brutal. Um, I can't imagine, unless you're in a land destruction deck, that you're reaching that sort of, that third ability when there are no lands. Sacrifice mana vortex. I can't imagine you're getting there. But this is giving me a Quicksilver Fountain, the Flood of Mars, um, although much, much more brutal. I mean, in those, you might uh, you might lose access to some of your lands, or your lands might become islands in addition to their other types, but at least they're not being sacrificed. I mean, this is just mean. Boy, uh, we got a nice water spout in the yard. And again, $23 card on the reserve list. Quite the stacks piece there. Let's move on to Psychic Allergy. That's three blue blue, five mana total for an enchantment. As Psychic Allergy enters the battlefield, choose a color. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, Psychic Allergy deals X damage to that player, where X is the number of non-token permanents of the chosen color they control. And at the beginning of your upkeep, destroy Psychic Allergy unless you sacrifice two islands. This is on the reserved list, and that's a pretty steep... It's not really a cumulative upkeep cost because I don't think they had introduced those yet. Uh, I think those came out in, in, a, in a following set, but it also doesn't accumulate. So at the beginning of your upkeep, you'll choose whether you want to destroy Psychic Allergy or Sacrifice Two Islands, or maybe you have some kind of uh, indestructible effect or a stifle effect because it's not forcing you to sacrifice it. It is destroying it, so if it's indestructible, you don't have to sacrifice those islands and everything will be okay. But... So you're going to choose a color and kind of a color hoser, but not uh, not particularly brutal, just really draining people out. And especially, I think, in monocolor decks, dealing X damage to that player where X is the number of non-token permanents of the chosen color, uh, that can really start to stack up. However, I can't imagine wanting to sacrifice two lands um, for each turn this is out, unless you are... Uh, perhaps in some kind of land stack, perhaps like uh, my co-host Mike's Damia land stack. I'm not saying he should run this, but it might not hurt as bad to sacrifice two islands, or maybe he can make it indestructible. I don't know. This is uh, this is pretty brutal against uh, against monocolored decks, and uh, I don't know if they would like you if you played this. Even though it's on the reserve list, it is about $5.50. It's not that expensive, but you be careful running that one. And we have a we have a card pair. We had dust to dust. Here's ashes to ashes, moving into black. And uh, that's one black black for a sorcery, three mana. Exile two target non-artifact creatures. Ashes to ashes deals five damage to you. Now, dust to dust was uh, one white white for a sorcery, and and it was exile two target artifacts. And, uh, and no damage to you. So I'm not entirely sure why you take damage from this. And it is more narrow, although it is kind of the opposite, right? Where the white version can hit artifacts, this hits non-artifact creatures. Um, Exiling two creatures for three mana isn't awful. It is sorcery speed. And it's not on the reserve list and has been reprinted several times, but it still doesn't really have any sort of People aren't really interested in it. Nobody's really playing this one, and that makes sense. Black is starting to get some really good removal, uh, and white has some good stuff too. But I don't, I don't know if two target not artifact creatures and lose five life is worth a three mana sorcery speed spot removal. That's the real problem, isn't it? Sorcery speed spot removal. You want that spot removal to be when you need it, which means instant speed. You need that when you need it. Sorcery is is not necessarily gonna gonna be there when you need it. You know what I'm saying? 
moving on to Season of the Witch. Black, black, black. That's three mana for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Season of the Witch unless you pay two life. Well, that's not so bad. Uh, but this effect right here is pretty brutal. At the beginning of the end step, destroy all untapped creatures that didn't attack this turn except for creatures that couldn't attack. So this is giving me Angel's Trumpet, which I'm not sure exactly which set that came out in. Um, but, but remarkably similar. I think that's in Colorless. So at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice this permit unless you pay two life. That's not so bad at all. Right? Black decks don't mind losing two life, and in fact, that could even benefit your deck. I don't think that's much of a problem at all. And uh, then at the beginning of your end step, destroy all untapped creatures that didn't attack this turn, except for creatures that couldn't attack. Um, a creature that couldn't attack is, for example, a creature that was tapped, or a creature that has summoning sickness because it entered the battlefield or came under that player's control since the beginning of their last turn. Um, Anything that would not permit a creature to attack, maybe it has restrictions. Perhaps uh, we had that spell that we talked about a few minutes ago that prevents creatures can't attack this turn. Uh, that would that would count as uh, couldn't attack. So basically, it's it's quite intuitive. Anything that couldn't attack is not hit by this. But if it were able to attack and you didn't tap it down or do anything to to make it unable to attack, uh, then it is going to be destroyed, which is quite brutal. That's going to reshape the structure of people's turns. And it is an enchantment, and for not even that bad of a cost, even the two life, the three mana, I think this is excellent value, and it is on the reserve list. The price bears this out. This is a $26 card. Um, and honestly, it's quite the hate piece. The We got art from Jester Myfors, uh, Je Jesper Myfors, excuse me, and uh, we've got this sort of dark forest with it it almost looks like the projection of a skull or maybe a witch in the sky as the forest burns uh spooky stuff there but i think this is quite an effective hate piece and uh <laughs> that's more than i can say for this next card but i figured we'd talk about it anyway this one's quite fun uh worms of the earth two triple black that's five mana for an enchantment players can't play lands lands can't enter the battlefield uh, and at the beginning of each upkeep, any player may sacrifice two lands or have Worms of the Earth deal five damage to that player if a player does either destroy Worms, worms of the Earth. Um, yeah, so this card is very silly. Under normal circumstances, this I don't really think is going to, to help you very much. You're going to need some assistance with this card, right? Because somebody is just going to have it deal five to them. Unless that would literally kill them or put them in position to be killed, I don't think anyone's anyone's hurting when they take five, especially with they can't play lands and lands can enter the battlefield from any other means. Um, honestly, I don't even know why why they need the separation of players can't play lands and lands can enter the battlefield. It probably covers some edge cases, but this card is on the reserve list. I don't think it's very good, but there are effects that would prevent people from uh, from being able to take this out if you were able to stifle those triggers or if you were uh, able to prevent all damage. There, it, I think there are some edge cases where you could make this work, but it's really quite janky in my opinion. Um, and so even though it is on the reserve list, it's 750. Very fun card. Just uh, you got worms, worms under the earth. And uh, I don't think this is doing very much for you, but it is quite fun. Um, now, swinging all the way back, we <laughs> moving into mono red, we have a card that absolutely does do something and is perhaps one of the most famous and hated hate pieces in the entire EDH uh, format. And that's Blood Moon. Blood Moon is from the dark. And wow, I mean, there's a lot to say about this card. This is a very famous hate piece. Two and a red for three mana. It's an enchantment, non-basic lands or mountains. Now, I think uh, maybe somebody who hasn't had this played against them before might not fully appreciate, or even if you had have it played against you, you may not appreciate why what's happening is happening. So briefly, we'll do a little mini judge corner and talk about why this card sucks so much. And... 
it's not 100% intuitive as to why. So it says non-basic lands are mountains. What does that What does that mean? Doesn't that mean that my lands just have the option to tap for red now? Well, no, it, it doesn't mean that, unfortunately. Um, so this is a continuous effect. And there are a lot of things that interact uh, with continuous effects, especially other continuous effects, that can get very... Uh, very iffy, very difficult to parse, unless you are a judge or a very rules-knowledgeable person when you combine things with Blood Moon. So just for now, we'll just talk about Blood Moon itself. If you have any questions about how Blood Moon interacts with other continuous effects, feel free to hop on our Discord in the show notes and ask me, um, or you can ask any other judge. But non-basic lands or mountains, let's talk about this. It doesn't do what it appears to say, right? It doesn't just make non-basic lands into also mountains like Urborg or Yavimaya. It doesn't just add a color to them. Uh, because it is setting those lands to have a specific land type, and it doesn't have that bonus clause uh, in addition to its other types like Urborg does, in that way, it is sort of mind-blanking the land. We've talked about this before. When you turn a land into another land type and not in addition to its other types, that land is an idiot now, right? Not only does the land forget its other land types, it also forgets everything about itself. Now, again, <laughs> if, if you want to get into the weeds of layers, there's a lot to talk about there. But that we're not talking about how effects apply. We're talking about what is on the card. And what is on the card is it's losing all abilities. This is applying in the type-changing layer uh, and... As a result of that, it is it is losing all abilities that it had, including abilities granted uh, by other effects on the board, maybe by auras enchanting the land. It doesn't have any of that stuff. Um, very brutal, and depending on how many non-basic lands you have, a non-basic land being any land that doesn't have the basic super type, so anything that's not a forest, island, swamp, etc., this... As you might know, if you've had this played against you, this can really hose a lot of EDH players. This is quite a salty and hated card, and it is quite spooky. You think about it. I mean, this a Blood Moon is something that's uh, a little bit eerie and such a just debilitating, kneecapping effect on the board. Uh, I personally, I like to play a lot of non-basics. I like to play a lot of utility lands, and an effect like this can be just brutal. It can not only lock you out of all of your utility lands and all your non-basics, you may be unable to cast spells um, if you don't have access to your colors anymore. If you don't have mana rocks, if you don't have mana dorks, or if you don't have basic lands or a way to blow up Blood Moon, you might just have to have to sit and complain loudly that somebody has locked you out. <laughs> this card is very brutal. It's been reprinted many, many times, and it is banned in Historic. Um, Definitely one of the premier hate pieces, and it did originally come out in the dark. We love it. Let's move on to Mana Clash, which is a single red one mana for a sorcery. You and target opponent each flip a coin. Mana Clash deals one damage to each player whose coin comes up tails. Repeat this process until both players' coins come up as heads on the same flip. Now, <laughs> I don't imagine that you would run this outside of your coin flip deck. But I think this is uh, this is quite fun. This could go on for a while. And if you have things that care about damage triggers, each time when the spell, uh, as it continues to resolve, and, and it will repeat until this uh, condition is satisfied, you could potentially have multiple instances of dealing damage to players. And your deck could care about that, or it could care about coin flips, or both. Um, I feel like basically every coin flip deck at least has red in it. Probably red, blue, uh, Okan and Zinner split or the uh, main coin flip commanders I'm aware of. There's probably some other decent ones at this point. But, you know, just a silly little card. I feel like this just basically goes in your coin flip deck, and uh, and if you can take advantage of it, that's great. Very wacky mono-red spell there. Moving on to green. Hidden Path for two and quad green, six mana. It's an enchantment with green creatures of Forest Walk. Now, land walk and color hosing and land home and all that stuff, uh, it hasn't necessarily gone away, especially in the land walk stuff, but they've definitely sort of eased back on it. You know what I'm saying? I feel like a lot of cards used to 
have Landwalk or that cared about cards having Landwalk. There was a whole cycle of lands that prevented or hosed Landwalk. Wizards really thought that this was going to be just a major, major mechanic alongside banding, right? There's plenty of banding cards in this set. If you're curious how banding works, just ask me on Discord. I'm not explaining it here. But green creatures of Forest Walk, that means they can't be blocked if defending player controls a forest. Now, this does probably make creatures uh, that attack you unblockable. But what if you had something like Yamimaya Cradle of Growth, where all lands are forced? Now all creatures are unblockable. That's a, that's a fun little combination. Now this is on the reserve list, but it is quite affordable because that's a pretty steep price for this effect. It's six mana, but only eight dollars. So if you are in green and you hate people, maybe you're running Hall of Gemstone or Yavi My Cradle of Growth, that could be an include. Again, it is. That's a quite steep effect for an enchantment. Quite expensive there. Uh, moving on to the horrifying Nile Sylvain. Uh, this card art is nightmarish. Mr. Christopher Rush, triple green. That's three mana for a creature, Ufe. That's a 2-2 with an activated ability to pay quadruple green, four mana, tap, and regenerate target creature. Now, I love the rattlesnake effect of being able to spot regenerate a creature because as we've talked about in the past, uh, most board wipes and spot removal these days doesn't prevent regeneration. It's mostly an old effect, uh, but what is regeneration? It's very simple. When you regenerate a permanent, the next time that permanent would be destroyed, whether by a destroy effect or by having lethal damage marked on it this turn, uh, instead tap that permanent and remove all damage marked on it, just like it's the cleanup step. Now the creature doesn't, the, the, the permanent does not have to be untapped. You'll just uh, tap it as, as part of that regeneration effect. Um, a lot of effects care about regeneration, uh, but they've now been eroded in the Oracle text to say when a uh, creature regenerates this way. You just have to be careful with that kind of thing. But for the most part, it doesn't really seem like we're seeing too many effects these days, at least, that prevent regeneration because they're kind of almost phasing that out a little bit. Even though that is a steep cost, you're in mono green, you may be able to make use of it, especially if you're copying it up, but that'll have to be up to you. That is, that is quite a steep effect and it's all green pips. This is on the reserve list. It is $4.44. <laughs> and uh, just, as a, just as a footnote again, Christopher Rush making this just horrifying Ufe, Niall Sylvain, uh, with this toothy grin. Just, uh, you worry what he's going to do to your skin when he gets a hold of you, right? It doesn't look like the kind of creature that would help you by regenerating. <laughs> uh, moving on to Scarwood Bandits. These guys look goofy. For two and two green, that's four mana. For a creature human rogue, it's a two-two with forest walk. And has the activated ability to pay two and a green, that's three mana and tap. Unless an opponent pays two generic, gain control of target artifacts for as long as Scarwood Bandits remains on the battlefield. Stealing artifacts, um, I have a feeling that is something green should be doing, but it seems strange today looking at this like does green steal artifacts is that what green green mostly destroys artifacts right now in a in a sort of ristic way this was before prophecy so we didn't have ristic yet this ability has sort of an exit clause for your opponent if they're able to pay too generic so i imagine you would want to wait until they're tapped out but you also have this kind of sort of gambit going on that maybe they're never allowed to tap out, which might not be a problem for, say, a blue deck or some other deck that likes to hold up instant speed interaction, but some decks might just want to curve out. And uh, and with this, you're threatening that if they curve out, you can just start stealing their stuff and uh, you'll continue to control it until uh, till Scarward Bandits leaves the battlefield. It is on the reserve list and uh, it's going for under $6 on this one. Interesting card. Mark Poole uh, did the illustration. You got a bunch of goofy, you know, gorillas, just white people, gorilla with a U, sort of hiding in the woods. You know, they're bandits. That's what bandits do. Let's move on to Tracker for two and a green, three mana for a creature human to two, two. With the activated ability, pay green, green and tap. 
Tracker deals damage equal to its power to target creature. That creature deals damage equal to its power to Tracker. That's fight, right? We didn't have fight templated yet, but that's effectively what fighting is. And, uh, you know, it's a 2-2, so you probably don't want to do this just right off the rip unless it's uh, fighting a 1-1. But this can function as a form of removal. Um, I know that most people don't really engage with fight. It's very similar to combat, but it, it only incorporates some aspects of combat, right? It'll incorporate things like death touch and lifelink because those are effects that care about when a permit deals damage. But it's not going to care about effects that improve combat, like first strike or double strike or anything of that nature, because this isn't actually combat. So that can be a little bit confusing that it cares about death touch and lifelink and infect, but it doesn't care about first strike and double strike. Uh, so just consider carefully that it cares about damage, but not combat. Maybe you're interested in fight decks. I don't know. This is on the reserve list. It is a little over $5. Let's move on to an interesting one here, Whooper Will. Uh, it's a single green for a creature bird. It's a 1-1, one, one, and it has the activated ability. Pay green, green, and tap. Target creature can't be regenerated this turn. Damage that would be dealt to that creature this turn can't be prevented or dealt instead to another permanent or player. When the creature dies this turn, exile that creature. So this is a pretty narrow hate piece, but if you're doing this kind of uh, this kind of spot removal, then I don't think Whipper Wheel is completely out of the question. First of all, it's got a great cost on it. It's a one one for one, and it has an activated ability for two mana. And this this effect is quite red, right? You have the creature can't be regenerated. You have damage can't be prevented. It can't be redirected and exile it when it dies. That feels very red to me personally, um, but we're, we're seeing a lot of color pie bending in this one. I think this is decently playable. Now, again, you do have to care about specifically creatures being, you know, targeted by that kind of spot removal because, uh, you know, not all effects are, are going to worry about that. Not everybody's trying to regenerate. Not everybody's trying to prevent damage. Uh, exiling the creature is not bad, although it's not tapping to exile. You have to have an effect that would exile it to protect it from that. That's an interesting card there. Not on the reserve list for that one. It's quite cheap at, at about a dollar. Uh, moving on to artifacts. We've got Barl's Cage for four generic. It's an artifact with pay three generic. Target creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Now, that's a pretty steep cost. But this is potentially a either a rattlesnake. If you hold some mana up, you're able to threaten that somebody is not able to do their thing that they need to do. Maybe you have infinite mana, and this is your this is your outlet for your combo, and you just keep everybody tapped down and then do either an alpha strike or some other devastating thing to their board. The effect is, again, it's a little bit overcosted. You don't necessarily want to be paying that much, but I can't imagine that there's no decks that want to play this because, you know, there, there definitely are decks that appreciate having things tapped down and they stay tapped down. And uh, and as an infinite mana outlet, I don't think this is awful, but nobody's really playing this one. <laughs> uh, very curious one here, Dark Sphere, a zero mana artifact, and it has tap and sacrifice the next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, prevent half that damage rounded down. Now, that effect is okay, but I think that most of the value on this card, from where I'm sitting, is on the fact that it's a zero-mana artifact that you can choose to sacrifice at any time. I have a feeling that there are some artifact decks that would not at all mind having a zero-mana artifact, especially one that they can play, sacrifice, and play again. Especially if you're able to play spells out of the graveyard. If you're allowed to play spells out of the graveyard and, and this is not exiling them, you can just keep playing this spell. I don't know. That's something interesting for you. Now, we do have a another artifact at zero mana that I think is significantly more useful. Um, and it's it's of a kind. Tormont's Crypt, which has been reprinted many, many times. It's a zero mana artifact. Tap and sacrifice. Exile target player's graveyard. This is very effective graveyard hate. We do have a lot of good tools to hit the graveyard, and I appreciate this very low cost, right? 
because we do have a lot of graveyard hate pieces sitting at about the one generic mana cost range. Uh, Graph Digger's Cage, Prometheus's, uh, whatever you call it. There, there are a lot of different artifact hate pieces that do many different things, but this one is quite simple. It's a zero drop artifact, exile target player's graveyard at instant speed. It's it's certainly a playable effect if you care about graveyard hate, and especially if you're in an artifact deck. And uh, I I mean, there's a reason the card's been reprinted so many times. I think it's it's uh, quite playable. But uh, it is only a few cents, so if that's something you're into, you pick that up. And uh, sort of a precursor, we have an interesting artifact here. Wand of Ith, four mana for an artifact. Pay three and tap target player reveals a card at random from their hand. If it's a land card, that player discards it unless they pay one life. If it isn't a land card, the player discards it unless they pay life equal to its mana value. Activate only during your turn. <laughs> this is quite uh, This is quite mean. Now, you're only playing this during your turn, so mm, you're not necessarily going to be able to get anybody on anyone else's turn, but you do have this lovely hand attack that people really have to make hard decisions about what they want to keep in their hand. If it's a land, yeah, paying one life, probably not a big deal, although your deck almost certainly cares about them paying or losing life and can benefit from that. But depending on the card, maybe it's one of those uh, high mana value cards, maybe one of their game enders, that they simply can't afford to pay 7, 8, 9 mana, and, uh, and they have to discard it. So that can, uh, that can really host somebody. This is quite mean. Um, it is a decently high activation cost, and people aren't really playing this, but that, I think that has potential as hand attack. And it makes sense that a card with Ith in the name would be intriguing, because right here we have one of my favorite cards in the game, Maze of Ith. I know you've heard about this one, listeners. It's a land, a non-basic, and it doesn't have a mana ability. It has tap, untap target, attacking creature, prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to and dealt by that creature this turn. That's right, this card came out in the dark, and this is a heck of a land. Oh my goodness, I love this land. Now, we've talked about this before got to be very careful when you are building your deck when you're brewing and you're sort of you know figuring out what to slot in what you're going to cut how many lands you're going to take how many of each spell your mana curve all that good stuff you need to be very careful this does not count as a land when you're building your deck now obviously it is a land card so when you play it all that you know land synergy will, will that'll take place but when you're building your deck, I don't want you to consider this a land card because it's almost never going to make you mana. Now, there are some effects that allow you to uh, grant mana abilities to lands or tap lands for mana. Uh, if we were just talking about Urborg and Yavimaya, those would allow this land to tap for mana. But this card is so powerful. This effect is so incredible. It's one of the best rattlesnakes. And I've kept saying that. What is a rattlesnake? A rattlesnake is an effect that you have access to that other people don't want to happen. And you're able to make that thing happen at your discretion. And right here we have removing basically a, a creature from combat. It's not removing it from combat proper, but it is uh, untapping it and preventing all damage to and by it. And effectively, that is, that's almost making it so it never attacked in the first place, right? You're turning it back. But as effective as that is, and it's great, in my opinion, um, you don't even necessarily have to use it. All you really have to do is convince somebody that you could use it. And it doesn't just have to be concerning with protecting yourself. You can use this sort of... Uh, you can use the rattlesnake as as a rattlesnake as as a sort of Damocles kind of hanging over the table. And if people are smart, they might have to consult you. Like, listen, Mike, uh, I really got to get my attack trigger off. Do you mind if I attack through this guy and you don't use your maze of it? And you're like, oh yeah, yeah sure, that's fine. <laughs> this thing is really dangerous. And uh, Ixalan is coming back soon. We're we're doing the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. 
Uh, we'll, we'll have a social set review for that at some point, I'm sure. But in that set, we had a Flipland Thaumatic Compass in the original Ixalan set that flipped into uh, a, a card that's very similar to Maze of Ith, and I also like to run that card. This is just highly effective. If you've never tried it before, give it a shot and try holding it up and seeing what kinds of things you can do with the table. Make sure that people know that you have it, because if they don't know, it's not really going to do very much. Then it only will turn back one thing. But if people know you have it, then maybe they're uh, they're a little reluctant to to send things in because it's just not it's not even going to matter. Um, and and in the past we've talked about this. If a player goes in with an alpha strike, frequently an alpha strike has a couple of key players, the big beaters, and then a long tail of maybe medium and token sized creatures. And when they're calculating out the amount of uh, attackers they need to send at each player, you know they'll do that math. But they're probably not accounting for a fog or indeed one creature being removed from combat effectively, not dealing that damage. And what that can do in some circumstances is they, the opponent alpha strikes and, and takes everybody out, but maybe you turn back uh, whatever nine power creature they had or something like that. So you kind of barely survive. And just like that from running this little spell land... Uh, now you are heads up, and uh, and you're able to use that in, in that scenario too. Maze of Ith is just a phenomenal, phenomenal land. And again, during the deck building process, this takes up a spell slot. This does not take up a land slot. Be careful with that because it doesn't make mana. Don't don't fall into that trap. But I would heavily recommend Maze of Ith. If you're not using it, definitely try it out. It's pretty great. And I'm really glad to see it in here. We have a land that's uh, that Mike talked about in a previous episode, but we've probably forgotten about it. Uh, Safe Haven is a land with a two and tap exile target creature you control, and it has the triggered ability at the beginning of your upkeep. You may sacrifice Safe Haven if you do return each card exiled with Safe Haven to the battlefield under its owner's control. Now, this is quite slow, right? You can realistically only exile a creature you control once a turn, and you can bring them back at the beginning of your upkeep the problem is if you're trying to use this multiple times, you know what I'm saying, uh, this can start to look like a pretty juicy removal target, which, you know, you might be okay with that. You do have to be aware this is another one of those spell lands. You can see it doesn't have a mana ability on it, so we can't really count this as a land when we're building a deck. Uh, now, to be fair, Maze of Ith... Glacial Chasm, some of my favorite lands in the game are lands with scare quotes around them that they're they're not lands proper, even though their type is land. And I'm happy to include them. You just have to be aware of, of that process during deck building. Um, if you are a blink deck, or maybe you have ETBs and LTBs, or maybe you're uh, maybe you're a lands deck that's trying to draw some heat away from some of your other more devastating lands, Safe Haven is not nothing. This can this can definitely do a little bit of work. It is slow. And it is vulnerable, but maybe that's what you want. I don't know. Um, because it's able to exile target creature you control on the spot, you can protect from spot removal and board wipes. I mean, that's that's a pretty powerful effect right there. I don't, I don't really mind that. Now, for the final card, uh, people have said that perhaps this is the worst card ever made. Uh, or at least the worst land ever made. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I would agree that this land is pretty trash and very niche and i think the only reason why it has the cost that it does of, of nine dollars is because it's on the reserve list and it has that reputation of being so bad and that's sorrow's path yee uh it's a land with no mana ability again and uh, tap choose two target blocking creatures and opponent controls if each of those creatures could block all creatures the other is blocking remove them both from combat each one then blocks all creatures the other was blocking Whenever Sorrow's Path becomes tapped, it deals two damage to you and each creature you control. I'm going to be honest with you. That, that first ability, the tap ability, it's a little confusing. And I don't really even necessarily think that it has that much value. It's this strange combat trick where you mess with your opponent's blocks. And yes, you can get some, some kills off of that. It's definitely possible to, to force good blocks into bad blocks or bad blocks into losing a bunch of their uh, their stuff or getting attack triggers, what have you. But 
I think that if you were to run this, you probably wouldn't even really care about that. I would uh, I would gather you probably care more about the fact that it deals damage to you and each creature you control. Normally that would be really bad, but if you're running some kind of rage deck or a deck that cares about yourself losing life, maybe some kind of group slug, life swing, or, uh, or in rage deck where uh, creatures care about receiving damage and then they become more powerful, they get their triggers. Or maybe you care about a lot of things dying at once and this destroys your whole board, or or maybe you have some kind of reflexive thing going on where when something you have gets damaged, everything else gets damaged. You would definitely want to play into synergies there. But funnily enough, I feel like the downside of this land is perhaps the only reason you would ever play it. Um, and listeners, you can let me know if you disagree on that. It's just infamously a terrible land. And again, it has no intrinsic land ability. So it's not even really a land. We count this as a spell. And I don't know if this is a good enough spell to run is what I'm saying. This is on the reserve list. It is $9.00. But a very, very goofy land here. And it I know for a fact it's made uh, several worst cards of all time lists. So it is fun to talk about cards like that. And this did come out in the dark. And wow, that concludes our brief uh, The Dark Ooh Can I See That set review. And wow, I hope you had a good time listening. I know that episodes are a lot more fun when Mike is here, right? I, I enjoy having our personalities bounce off of each other, but uh, but he's taken a well-deserved break, and I thought that we could just celebrate a spooky Halloween or post-Halloween uh, together. And if if any of these cards caught your fancy, maybe you uh, maybe you found an interest in some of them, or or maybe you you think they're just janky enough to play. Uh, we're going to have a TCG player affiliate link in our description. When you uh, click that link, you're not going to pay any additional cost. It's nothing funny. It's just going to, you know, throw a few pennies our way to support the podcast the tiniest amount. Um, if you do want to support the podcast monetarily directly, you can uh, go to our Patreon. We have several tiers available. We have a lot of great patrons. And uh, they're, they're able to uh, suggest episode ideas to us. Uh, they're able to... Give us uh, decks to do deck texts on, topics, and, uh, you know, if they if they put enough in, we can see about getting some special guests on of their choice. But uh, if you if you found any of this stuff interesting, go ahead and pick it up. Maybe show up in our Discord or, uh, or hop on that TCG player link. And if you want to get in contact with me, Judge Alex, you can hit me up on Twitter at Lappermedic, L-A-P-P-E-R-M-E-D-I-C. And if uh, any of these cards sounded uh, maybe like they could be combo pieces, maybe head over to my other project, The Commander Spellbook, which has just recently crossed 25,000 EDH combos. We're so pleased and so happy. Our editing team has done some great work, and we do have something special coming up, but you didn't hear it from me. Keep your eyes on that Commander Spellbook. Right now, as I speak... Our featured spoiler cards are for Ixalan and Jurassic Park, and I am looking forward to uh, to doing our social set review for the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. I think we're going to have some great stuff in there to talk to y'all about, and uh, we also should have some other great and interesting topics and perhaps even uh, guests coming up. So thank you so much for tuning in to the Social Contract Podcast. I have been your host, Judge Alex Lapp, and uh, please have a great day. I appreciate you listening. Thank you.